Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God. Though we have rebelled against him, let us renounce our willfulness and seek his mercy by confessing our sins in penitence and returning to the Lord in faith. Shall we pray? O oh God, we are desolate and frightened, for there are evil tidings all around us, and we do not know you well enough to count on your help. We cannot hear your voice or sense your presence. There is a void within us that things cannot satisfy. We have reached for honors and recognition, but they provide no lasting fulfillment. Forgive our mistaken priorities and draw us to you, the source of living water. Amen. This is the good news of the gospel for all of us. Whatever we have done, whatever we have failed to do, whoever we are and whoever we wish we were but are not, we are loved and forgiven. We are accepted, we are washed clean, we are raised up, we are welcomed. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Now let us together affirm the faith that has made us who we are by repeating the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, while we're standing, let's greet one another in the spirit of our Lord. Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms on this wonderful Labor Day weekend. We're glad that you are worshiping with us this day as we seek to know of God's presence in our life and as we wonder about how God might be calling us into the world. We hope that you will find this to be a place of wealth, welcome and that you will know of perhaps new people in your life after this worship service today. One way to do that is for you to sign the friendship pads which are in the middle of the aisles there and pass those along to your neighbors and note those folks who are sitting near you. We would love for you to continue your conversation that perhaps you just started with a greeting and uh, join us underneath the tree and uh, we will have refreshments out there and a chance to uh, have further conversation with uh, one another. 
We uh, invite you to join us for the Life Tree Cafe, which is over in the Campus Center just after the service. Many people have been enjoying that great time for having conversation to wonder together about what, it got, what has got up to in the world over particular issues that are at the forefront as we read about in the papers and such. And so we invite you to come and give it a try and see what it's like. And perhaps you'll find that to be a really great opportunity to share a little bit about yourself and to learn about other folks as well. Great things are on board for next weekend. We begin our sort of fall kickoff. Presbyterian women have their opening luncheon next Friday, so take note of that announcement and you'll wanna make reservations for that. Any woman in the church is invited to be a part of that great ministry and organization. And then on Sunday, we'll have our big fall kickoff. It will be a chance for you to come and learn about everything that's gonna be happening at Church of the Palms over the course of the fall season and the winter season. We would love for you to come and uh, check it out and get the information you need and to learn more about how you can continue to grow in your own effort of being an equipped disciple for the service of Christ. So great opportunities. Our youth will be getting going, children, families, as well as the entire congregation. So we hope you'll join us next Sunday for that big fall kickoff. And then lastly, we uh, want to celebrate the 90th birthday tomorrow of Carol Bemke. And uh, if, you, uh, if you see Carol in the uh, midst of our congregation today, say, well done, 90 years old. Hallelujah. We will now continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes, gifts, and offerings. down and oh my soul so weary when troubles come and my heart burden be then I am still and wait here in the silence until you come and sit a while with me stand on mountains you raise me up to walk on stormy seas I am strong when I am on your shoulders you raise me up to more than I can be
Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for your love that surrounds us at all times. We give you thanks for your grace and blessing we receive each day in our lives. Accept our love and gratitude back to you through these offerings. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, you may be seated, and I'd like to invite Moira and our children to come forward. Good morning. All righty. Well, today we are going to talk about fear. And I will share a fear of mine, the fear of being late. <laughs> Which is funny right now, but actually is a fear, really, for real in my life. <clears throat> We're talking about courage this month, and what courage is, is being brave enough to do what you should do, even though you're really scared. Another thing that I'm really scared of is spiders, and anything that's creepy crawly, and they're everywhere when I'm outside. Does anybody have that fear? You do? Yeah, you do? Good, yeah, it's, I mean, it's Florida, there's lots of bugs. So luckily, I've got my handy-dandy binoculars here today, so if there are any spiders or big creepy crawly bugs, I'll be able to see them coming from a mile away. So you guys let me know if you see any bugs too, okay? Well, I'm gonna need a volunteer to help me with our Bible story today. All right, come on up. So you are going to be Joseph from the Old Testament today. This is Sam, and you are very famous, Sam. Joseph was very famous. Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons, and Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Joseph was not just one of the 12, though. He was the very favorite brother. And Jacob, to prove how much he loved Joseph, gave Joseph a really fancy coat. I want you to put this on, Joseph. Because he wanted Joseph to be comfortable and fashionable if he was going skiing or if he was just going sledding or anything like that while they were in the Middle East. Unfortunately, all those other brothers, they got nothing. Joseph was the only one with a fancy coat. So those brothers, they were so jealous that they decided they were going to throw Joseph into a deep, deep well. So they're going to sit down in the ground. So they took the coat off to Joseph, they threw him into the well, and they walked away. That well was so deep, there's no way he was ever going to crawl out of it. And there was nobody around to save him, not even his father. Then, at the last moment, the brothers saw some merchants traveling on the road to Egypt. And they thought to themselves, hey, we can make some money off this brother we don't like. Let's go ahead and sell him into slavery, and then we'll be done with him and we'll get our money. So Joseph had to walk all the way to Egypt with these merchants. He was alone. He was going to a strange place he'd never been before. How do you guys think he felt while he was traveling to Egypt to be a slave? Ancient Egypt awesome. Okay. He was maybe thinking about how awesome Egypt would be. How about you, Matthew? Ready? No? Anybody else? What else might Joseph be feeling? He's torn away from his father who loves him so much, from his place that he lives, going somewhere where he's going to have to do work for people that he doesn't have the right to say no to. Anybody? Ryan? Sad and gloomy? Sad and gloomy. He might be a little worried about his prospects. He might also be very, the way I feel about spiders. Scared. Is that what you said, Kara? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes? Did you say it? Mm -hmm. Scared. See, Joseph knew that he was scared. So when Joseph got to Egypt, he knew that God was with him. 
So even though he was very scared in his heart, he made the best out of his life. He did the right thing. He worked hard for the people who held him captive. His life had ups and downs, but all throughout, he had trust in one big thing, that God was in control of his life and that God had a plan for him. So Joseph was brave because he trusted God, and that's something that we, too, know about God, is that he's here with us all the time, so we can be brave even when we're scared. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for being with Joseph. Thank you for being with us here today. Please help us to remember that we can be brave and do what we should do, even in the face of fear, because we know that you are with us and we can trust you. Amen. Thank you. I think all of our children are invited to go back with their families, so if they're making their way to the door, you can just kind of whisk them back and they can enjoy some time with family worship during this, the first Sunday of the month. Well, we uh, concluded a couple of weeks ago our series on baseball, so I thought maybe we would start a new series on college football. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I already started seeing people go for the doors. Um, <laughs> but we are going to begin a new series that uh, I've titled The Trip of a Lifetime. And we are going to be basing this uh, sermon series throughout the fall on the Beatitudes of Jesus that we find at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which is located in chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. The Sermon on the Mount, many of you know, is a collection of Jesus' teachings that Matthew, the Gospel writer, compiles and puts together at the beginning of his Gospel to serve as the centerpiece of the, of the moral and ethical teachings of Jesus. We are going to take a look at the Beatitudes of Jesus, which are right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, with an eye toward wondering what is Jesus trying to tell us through these several blessings about the deeper meaning of life. When Jesus lists these blessings, he's trying to tell us something about really what is life all about? What is the deeper meaning of life? How do we see ourselves in the grand scheme of things? What's the purpose of our days? What are we called to do? How are we really truly to find blessing in our lives? It's interesting in the Christian world, when people talk about the blessing of God, how seldom do we hear them refer to this great list of blessings that Jesus indicates are the true blessings of life. You hear a lot of people talk about how blessed they are and, and they speak of things like good health and good income and good kids and good stocks and bonds and good house, but, but seldom do you hear people speak and talk about the blessings of life in reference to the blessings that Jesus outlines at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. So, so in this series, we're going to turn away from the material blessings of life, which probably have little to do with God, to these deeper blessings that Jesus would suggest that lead us to that deeper meaning and purpose of life. So this morning we're going to look at the first beatitude, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to look at that through a story in Luke's gospel found in the 18th chapter, verses 9 through 14. Hear the word of God. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, that you love us enough to teach us, teach us things of which we are unaware. You love us enough that you gently lead us along the way such that we may discover the deeper truths of what it means to be a follower of your son, Jesus, and what it means to truly live. So bless us in Christ's name, amen. Perhaps one of the most heartbreaking stories told in all the Bible, perhaps even in all of literature, is an episode in the life of Israel's King David. King David is the most beloved of all the kings, a, a man, as the Bible tells us, after God's own heart. From his earliest days of taking on the giant Goliath, David seems to do all the right things. He is faithful. He is just. He is true. He is loved by his people. He has the world in his hands. He has the tiger by the tail. He has everything. But David, in a very human moment, becomes obsessed over the beauty of a young woman, another man's wife. And he acts on the obsession, uses his monarchical power, and performs an egregious act of infidelity. And as a result of this, David learns that Bathsheba, this beautiful young woman, is with child, David's child. And what unfolds from that is a cover-up story that would make the Watergate conspirators blush, resulting in the murder of Bathsheba's warrior husband. David, in a very short period of time, loses his mind loses his senses, loses his soul, but he doesn't know it. He has no grasp of what he has so quickly become. Enter then in this episode his confidant and counselor, Nathan, who tells him a little story, tells him a, a parable about a poor man who has a, a little lamb that he treasures and that he has raised since it was, a, since it was born, and a, a rich man who has as many sheep as he could ever want. But the rich man insists on the poor man's lamb to feed his friends. The story enrages David that, that a rich man with hundreds of sheep in his own flock could be so callous as to demand the poor man's one and only sheep to feed his friends. David is enraged. He demands justice to fall upon the rich man. And just as David has said this, there is this tragic moment when everyone can see, the reader, Nathan, everyone can see that the callous, evil, rich, selfish, sheep-stealing man is David. Everyone can see it except one person, David. It is tragedy at its height. And then Nathan lowers the boom and says to the puffed-up king, You're the man. You 
are the man. You know, one cannot read this story of David without nearly losing one's breath. And the reason you nearly lose your breath as you're reading about how, how blind David is to himself and, and what he has done is that you realize as you read this story that it's a story about David the king. And you realize that if it's a story about David the king, well then it's really a story about us. It's, it's a story about us. We are the man that if David can lose himself, why then certainly we can too. We perhaps fail to see ourselves for who we are. The great stories of literature are full of such characters. Shakespeare had his King Lear, whose insecurity pushed away all those who were truly faithful to him. Macbeth had his lust for power that turned him insanely paranoid. Melville had his Captain Ahab, whose lustful, vengeful pursuit of the great white whale Moby Dick was his very undoing. Arthur Miller had his Willie Loman and a death of a salesman, whose dreams of himself turned into delusion and led him to an early grave, and his son standing over his grave saying, he never knew who he was. He never knew who he was. It's what Nathan's just trying to say to the king. King David, you, you don't know who you are. And so when we flip open the book of Psalms and go to Psalm 51, a psalm attributed to David as his response to Nathan's, you are the man, David says, finally, David says, have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy steadfast love, according to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. And then later says, for a sacrifice acceptable to thee, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart thou will not despise. And finally, you can see that David is coming to discover who he is, who he really is. And so it explains Jesus' parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector saying their prayers in the temple, that the Pharisee is, is using it as an occasion to remind God of how good he is, how in the moral pantheon he stands above most, how, how lucky God is to have him on his side. He's like most of us religious people who have a pretty clear view of everyone else's sins and a very poor view of our own. He rejoices in not being like the tax collector. He's, he's focused on someone else's eye speck and cannot see the log in his own. You hear it, of course, don't you, in your own conversations. You hear yourself speaking with clarity and disgust about the immorality of others, not noticing the deafening silence you have about your own. You sense yourself being enraged as you read the paper over all those people out there who are doing the wrong things. You demand justice. You wonder if the world because of them is going to hell in a handbasket. And yet you and I would never stop to think that maybe the world's going to hell because of us. It's because we don't know ourselves. We just don't know ourselves. So the lowly tax collector, whom the rich Pharisee assumes is the one who is the source of all the world's problems, the lowly tax collector takes his seat alongside great King David and says, have mercy upon me. Oh God, have mercy upon me because I'm a sinner. Je Jesus says, now, now that's the guy who gets it. 
That's the guy who's first in line for the kingdom of heaven because that's the guy who sees how much he really needs. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand their depravity. Blessed are those who have this, who know they have this huge blind spot when it comes to themselves. Blessed are those who realize that they have enough work to do on their own that they can't be worrying about anyone else. Blessed are those who get, who know how much mercy they need and Blessed are those who know how much mercy they will get. I've been thinking about this this week as you and I have watched and read about the commemoration of the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. And I remember talking a couple of years ago to a college student about the civil rights movement and the days of segregation and And I explained to this college student, who obviously had not been listening very well to high school history, that it wasn't that long ago that African Americans were not allowed at lunch counters and in theaters and in proper bathroom facilities and at the front of the bus, that black people had dogs and fire hoses turned on them when they asked for some of these basic rights. And I remember the the bafflement on her face. It, it wasn't something she could really wrap her mind around, she, that she could believe. That, 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 50 years, that, short of, that 50 years ago, we couldn't see how bad that was, she said. How we could so easily allow ourselves as a country to do such bad things. We couldn't see ourselves. We didn't get it. Fifty years hence, now she could see it clearly. And then she said this, this great wisdom. She said, you know, it makes me wonder, she said, what I'm not seeing now. If we could be so blind then, she said, maybe I could be so blind now. Is that possible? Is that what we might ask when we approach the table that has the broken bread and the poured cup, the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus? Am I capable of this, we might ask? The table where when Jesus announced that there was a betrayer in their midst, the disciples all asked, is it I, Lord? As if to say, I sure know it could be. I have the capacity. So we begin. Be merciful to me, O God, a sinner. And to hear the Savior say, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you poor in spirit, blessed are you with the broken heart, because you get it. You know who you are, and you know what you need. And for you, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven.
There is a wideness in God's mercy. There is a yearning for God, for all to be included at this table, to know that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what sin we may have that lies deep in our soul, there is a God who yearns to extend to each one of us the kingdom of heaven, to welcome us, not because we think we deserve it, not because we think we have scored all the right scores on the test, but who welcomes us because we know how badly we need it. We need God's grace. Before me is this basket of home communion kits. And these home communion kits will be another way by which we extend the wideness of God's mercy to our congregational family. They will be used by elders and deacons who are commissioned to go into the homes of our shut-ins, those who cannot physically be present with us at table, and each month receive home communion, and thus to be included in the great family of faith as it comes to table as it comes to receive this great mercy that God has extended to all of us. So they, as well as you, are invited to this table wherein you can discover once again who you really are. That you are first the beautiful creation of God, second, the fallen creation of God, and third, the restored creation of God in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hear the words of the institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the Apostle Paul. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. When you eat of this, remember me. And then after supper, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death until he comes again. And he will come again. Let us pray. Receive us at this table, O God. Again, not because we deserve it, but because you love us and you welcome all into this feast such that we may discover the kingdom of heaven and know that we are saved by grace and grace alone. We pray, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be present with us and filling us such that we may become the equipped disciples that you need us to be to serve the world, that the world might know that there truly is a wideness in God's mercy and that you yearn for all to be at this table. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our Lord took bread.
Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and gentle of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life, says the Lord. Those who believe in me shall never hunger. Those who come to me shall never thirst. Those who believe in me I shall in no way cast out. For blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. After supper, Jesus took the cup.
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the worthy sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let us pray. Mighty and great God, we give you thanks for having fed us with this bread of life and this cup of salvation. We pray that you will send us as now into the world to share your love and grace with all we meet and to make disciples, equip disciples for the service of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.